Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zetner Geology Podcast, Episode 107, Downtown Eocene. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you listening to this one, everybody. I appreciate you listening to all these, especially because these recent episodes, here in the radio episodes, <laughs> have been unusual. I'm not really breaking new ground with geology. Instead, I'm looking backwards, I'm summarizing, and at the same time, I'm trying to come up with new ideas for some upcoming live lectures that I'm giving at the Morgan Performing Arts Center in downtown Ellensburg. That's happening March 29th, 30th, 31st, and April 1st, 7 p.m. at the Morgan Auditorium. Uh, Doors open at 6.30. Free and open to anybody that wants to come. But I'm also looking for some help. I'm still kind of trying to put those lectures together in my mind before I start drawing things out. And this is the third of four lectures devoted to that. Uh, The first one was Downtown Backstory. The most recent radio episode was called Downtown Exotic. And today I'd like to go back to the winter of 21-22. Sorry starting in November of 2021 and continuing through February of 2022, I did 26 alphabet letters called That Crazy Eocene, A to Z. And like I did in the previous radio episode, just off the top of my head, you know, I have my eyes closed for most of this. I just try to uh, just have things um, come out of my mouth without a whole lot of planning. And that may seem like a strange operation, but for me, Uh, it works. The process of just not planning and talking this out is kind of part of how I operate. And I'm involving you in this. And uh, you're like, wow, boy, I feel so special, feel so thrilled, so honored. I don't mean it that way. It's not that big a deal. But it's 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 another new way to use these audio episodes. And so that's what I've been doing recently. And that's what I'm about to do right now. Let's get into it. I started the Crazy Eocene A to Z livestream series by myself in the auditorium where I teach at the university. So I needed a whole new setup for that. And Nat Nickel, Nat the Wonder Boy, as I call him, who's an employee of Central Washington University, he's a local kid. He's, I say kid, he's a new father. I suppose he's 33 or something. Um, extremely helpful in helping me get set up. So I was tired of the iPhone crashing using the wireless in our home. And so this alphabet series was Ethernet cables going directly into a laptop. And I was using a program called Melon for the first time, which was, I don't know how to describe it, but some sort of live streaming platform where I can broadcast live to YouTube through this thing called Melon. And the reason I'm dealing with Melon is I can bring in live guests. And so the first couple letters, maybe, of the crazy Eocene was just me and the chalkboards, and I was just trying to set up uh, defining what the Eocene was, defining why I thought that was uh, an ample place for us to start thinking about uh, a bunch of stuff happening here in the Pacific Northwest, and that's what we'll do right here. Uh, I had the time stick out 
I defined the Eocene as 60 to 40 million years ago, and I fully expected to be in the Eocene the whole time. I fully expected to be in the crazy Eocene between 60 and 40 million years ago the entire winter. And I remember the first live stream guest that I had, and it was a grand experiment, was Jerome Lessman, who did successfully join me from his classroom, and he was using his phone, and so he took us on a tour of his lab classroom at Vancouver Island University. That in itself was a thrill. He was showing us all the rock samples he had in his classroom from Vancouver Island, some of it Nanaimo stuff, some of it older, but I was just getting ramped up with trying to summarize some of the exotic terrain stuff from the previous alphabet, and I'm certainly not going to do that with you now because we just did that in the last radio episode. But the next guest, if I recall correctly, was Basil Tickoff, the night before Thanksgiving. And Basil was in a down mood because earlier that morning he texted me quickly and said, I'll still do the show today, but I just learned that Paul Umhofer passed away. And he and Paul were very close, and Paul Umhofer was the main guy to get Basil Tickoff interested in uh exotic terrains in Baja, B.C. And so I remember kind of the raw feelings there with Basil. But uh, in addition to that, uh, Basil did an excellent job. It was the first time I'd really had a conversation with him. And, you know, again, kind of weird. The first time you're having a conversation with somebody, it's in front of 15,000 people or whatever. But Basil got me to think immediately about the Cretaceous, about older stuff, older than the Eocene. And so the design of the crazy Eocene alphabet was to stay in the Eocene, but there was no plan. I'm very upfront with the viewers. There is no plan. I'm going letter by letter. And if some guest says something really interesting, uh, I follow the leads. And there is no better example of that than when Basil Tickoff joined us in November of 2021, and he said, look, I, I, you, yes, you're going to start talking about the Eocene in the North Cascades and all sorts of magmatic flare-ups and, and metamorphic core complexes and, and all that sort of thing, but I think you need to go back in time. I think you need to go back to 100 million years ago. This is Basil Tickoff talking to me and the rest of us. And he's saying, the big story is 100 million years ago. And it's uh, when and only when you understand the basics of that mid-Cretaceous collision. It's only after that that you're going to be able to understand why the Eocene is doing what he's doing. And so that, that became the main story of the entire Eocene alphabet series. The main story is, I think we spent the rest of, uh, is that true? We spent a fair amount of time in December, before the holidays, thinking about the Cretaceous and the Rocky Mountains and collision and crustal thickening. And then we got to the Eocene. So it was almost like the Alphabet series had the wrong name for a while because we were doing nothing but talking about things leading up to, during, and the immediate aftermath of an event 100 million years ago that 
really um, shocked much of the American West. And I'm still talking about it today. So that was the main contribution of Basil Tickoff, who's been a recurring guest since that time. In fact, Basil appeared three three times total during that Alphabet series, and he ap- appeared three times in this most recent Baja BC A to Z series. Spoiler alert. Okay, so I think I'm now realizing, just as I'm talking with you, that... Okay, let's just go with it. Much like I was doing in the previous alphabet and realizing that to understand the North Cascades, I needed to leave Washington and go up to British Columbia. Do you remember that from the last episode? And once I got the basics up in British Columbia, then I came back to the North Cascades, dealt with much smaller exotic terrains, and tried, but was not successful in carrying those Canadian themes down here into Washington. Well, weirdly, this is a new thought right now with you. Weirdly, Basil had me leave the North Cascades as well, but he didn't have me leave the North Cascades geographically. Basil asked me and asked all of us to leave the North Cascades temporally. Self-satisfied sniff. Basically, go back 50 million years earlier in the North Cascades and you're going to deal with a major hit. A major hit of North America with some sort of collider out in the Pacific Ocean. And Basil didn't care if the collider was coming at us or if North America was coming at it. But there's evidence all up and down the western part of North America from Alaska to Mexico, from Mexico to Alaska, where there is a major collision 100 million years ago, including a lot of the rocks of the North Cascades. Well, that got me pretty quickly into an analogy that I think worked, maybe became obnoxious in short order, fireworks. So here's a good example of me talking to highly respected academics who are very careful with their words, careful with their science. And then they're talking to a clown live who says, how about this is, Basil, how about this is just like, a, you know, have you been to a fireworks show, Basil? You know, and then you tell us, and then the host tells a story about going to a fireworks show and laying out the blanket and his mom and dad and the Dairy Queen and everything. And then on and on and on. I mean, it's weird. It, the, I'm talking about myself now. So to have the, the confidence or the irrational confidence to do that kind of story time food prop in this case fireworks demonstration when talking with these well-respected people it doesn't always go well and the reason basil is a a favorite guest is because he totally understood what i was doing and he doesn't take himself that seriously he rolled right along with it so what was i trying to talk about with fireworks well you go to a fireworks show, there's that sound. The men over there in the parking lot are, are setting off the fireworks. <laughs> and then you wait a couple seconds, especially as a kid. And if you're a nervous kid like me, you're worried about the safety of the guys over there. Are they going to get lit on fire? And then finally up in the sky, there's this... <laughs> you know, it's an audio... 
one-two punch. And so I set up with our discussions Cretaceous fireworks, where we collide with this thing out in the water. There's all sorts of thrust vaulting, crustal thickening, deformation, folding and faulting. Evidence all through the North Cascades, plus all these other places I just described. But then in the 10 million years after that, there's a fireworks show. And that comes in the form of more thrust vaulting, plutons, and other kinds of activity that's a direct result of that hit. And that manifests itself in the North Cascades in the form of the oldest magmatic flare-up. In the North Cascades, there's a whole series of plutons, including the Mount Stewart pluton, the Black Peak pluton, the Ten Peak pluton. A couple others, I'm rusty now, I haven't thought about those in a while. Mid-Cretaceous plutons that are happening in the immediate aftermath of a major hit. And apparently, roughly at the same time, there's major thrust faults, like the Windy Pass Thrust, just north of Ellensburg. And you can find those thrust faults outside of Las Vegas. You can find those thrust faults in central Mexico. You can find those thrust faults all through the Canadian Rockies as well, apparently. Why are we getting into that with this alphabet series? I think for a while I was asking myself that, maybe asking the guests that. Why is it so important that we're hung up here in the Cretaceous basal? And many geologists kept coming back to the idea that, well, the Eocene is the opposite of the Cretaceous. If the Cretaceous, 100 million years ago, is a major thickening, collision, shortening, I'll say it, slab failure magma generator. Then the Eocene, which is 50 million years later, is the opposite of that. We're not compressing the crust in the Eocene, we're extending the crust. We're pulling the crust apart. We're generating magmas in the Eocene during that crustal extension, which is a totally different chemistry of magmas than you have 50 million years earlier. There are low-angle normal faults tied to metamorphic core complexes in the Eocene. Nick, that is the crazy Eocene you're talking about, but that's all in response to what happened 50 million years earlier. So yeah, I, I, I understood the North Cascades Eocene geology not by starting with the crazy Eocene in the North Cascades, but by starting with the precursor opposite event a hundred million years ago, before we finally get to the main event 50 million years ago, which is accreting Celestia and having all hell break loose that way. So with Basil, I had an episode, Cretaceous fireworks. Uh, later in the early part of the alphabet, I had an Eocene fireworks. I think I did. Is that what I called it? Eocene fireworks with Mike Eddy. And so there's strike-slip vaulting for the first time. There's depositional basins like the Chumstick Basin. And all of that Eocene activity, which is one of the main 
focal points of the dream team, that's Stacia Gordon, Bob Miller, and, and Mike Eddy, the, the folks that I'm associated with, they've spent a lot of time working with these plutons that are Eocene in age, but it's clearly a different tectonic story than 50 million years earlier. So that was, that was maybe the, the, the biggest narrative of the whole alphabet where we were earlier for a time, and then we landed on the Eocene to really understand what was going on regionally. Uh, an episode that pops to my mind that I thought was very clever and very unusual, and I'm not sure it was well-received. And I don't really even know what I mean by saying that, but I, I thought maybe a bunch of people would stop. When I was out in the field with Mike Eddy and his PhD student, Aaron Donaghy, and we were filming in the Chumstick Basin, they kept talking about a guy named McClincy. I wonder if McClincy has anything here. And they would, they would have all of Matt McClincy's 30-year-old master's thesis on their iPad and, and the GPS locations and everything, and they're looking for these tufts within the Chumstick. And I finally said, who's this McClincy guy? And they're like, oh, I don't know, like somebody who did a master's thesis for Portland State University under the direction of Paul Hammond, like in 1985. I said, well, what does he think about you guys doing all this work, basically where he was and using all these new techniques? And they were like, well, I don't know. I, <laughs> I said, oh, really? You haven't even talked to him? He's like, well, no, I don't think he's like in geology anymore. Or he's not in academia. So I looked him up. I found him through Facebook, I think, through a friend of a friend or whatever. And I found him and talked him into joining us live on the program. And I had Matt McClincy kind of reminiscing about his master's thesis in the Chumstick Basin near Leavenworth, Washington. And then I brought in Aaron Donaghy, who's a student now. And they were going back and forth. It kind of worked, I think. A little nice little three-way conversation about the Chumstick with very different methods today versus the past. So the Chumstick Basin is a num one of a number of these depositional basins that are mysterious in many ways. Why is there such a deep depositional basin that is receiving such incredible volumes of sediment between roughly 50 and 45 million years? I'm, rem I'm forgetting the exact dates. And then I was realizing as I continued to visit with people that the next major theme was being established and that Chumstick Basin story became more and more clear to me and I think to most of the viewers. I'm skipping around here, by the way. I hope you don't mind. I'm not going letter by letter. I'm going to pause and say I'm now remembering that for the Crazy Eocene alphabet, the first letter, I just wrote out on the board my goals. I didn't do that most recent series, but I, I remember doing that now. And I even shared what I was sure was the wrong story about how the Rocky Mountains form. But I basically was saying, here we are, letter A of the Crazy Eocene A to Z series, and I don't really know when the Rockies formed, or how they formed, or when they started. Is it an Eocene story, or is it younger? Is it Laramide? The whole story. So I kind of put that out there. Uh, I put Celestia and what I knew and what I didn't know on the board. 
I knew that there were some other things in the North Cascades that were Eocene, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't have a framework for that. And so as the alphabet went on, I eventually did get to two major themes beyond what I just described. One was building the Rocky Mountains. And I did have Caleb Scarbeer from Montana Tech in Butte, Montana. I had Dave Rogers from Idaho State University. I had Rob Thomas from Dillon, Montana. Others that don't come to mind, but they were Rocky Mountain specialists. And for their own little corner of the Rockies, I would, you know, read papers and try to write out what I thought that I was able to gather. And then they would correct me. Fine. They would emphasize certain things, like, for instance, Dave Rogers, who turned out to be, full disclosure, was my old professor at Idaho State University. We were basically the same age. He was about ready to retire uh, a year and a half ago, and he has retired now. Most famously, Dave said, uh, look, you're, you're struggling with the Rockies, Nick. I understand. Not everybody agrees about it. But around these parts, 53 million years ago is the big date. 53 million years ago. Before 53 million years ago, in the Rocky Mountains of central Idaho and western Montana, there's thrust faults, there's compression, and then somebody flips a switch 53 million years ago and suddenly everything starts to relax. And it's the opposite story. It's the Eocene activity arriving in the Rocky Mountains. And I was following those themes with the rest of the guests that I had. And so another theme that developed was working with these metamorphic car complexes and why they happen. And yes, as soon as you flip the switch and you start the extension, one of the manifestations of that are these rising domes of metamorphic rock coming to the surface almost magically and having the rocks that formerly concealed them sliding away in all directions. I used an analogy of turtle shells. Turtle shells coming up through a brittle overstory. And as we continue to rise those turtle shells, we rise that metamorphic rock, we get these things called metamorphic core complexes, which was a fashionable part of teaching back uh, 30 years ago when I was in grad school, and it, it really hasn't been discussed a whole lot more recently, it sounds like. But I did have Tekla Harms and Stacia Gordon and others who were intimately involved in that research long ago. I guess what I landed on was that it wasn't just a gradual kind of modest uplift story for these metamorphic core complexes. It was an incredible rise very rapidly. So maybe the biggest message of the second half of this alphabet that we're summarizing today, dear listener, is that in the North Cascades, but in other places in the American West, there is a dramatic, crazy rocketing to the surface of crust that was at 40 kilometers depth, 50 kilometers depth, 30 kilometers depth, and we have the metamorphic minerals to prove that. And then these things, in just a few million years, suddenly find themselves at the surface. And why that crazy elevator going up is happening 
with the Chelan migmatite, with the Skagit gneiss, with the Swakane gneiss in the North Cascades, but other places as well, up in B.C. and beyond, is still a bit of a mystery. I did show an animation, I'm cheating now, I did show, a ma show an animation last month that Chris Mattinson gave me, and it was looking at what happens when you subduct some continental crust into an oceanic trench. That's right, you heard me. In Geology 101, you are taught that only ocean crust subducts, but there are good cases, documented cases now, of places where you have continental crust, which is thick and buoyant crust, getting pulled into an oceanic trench, and it doesn't want to go down because it's continental crust, but it does go down a fair amount before there's kind of a failure and this cork starts rising. And there's typically slab failure magmatism at the same time. Well, that animation was at least one plate tectonic explanation, maybe a satisfying exclamation, uh, exclamation for why this sudden rise of this deep crustal material, like in the crystalline core of the North Cascades today. So it's not like I was trying to learn things in this alphabet series that would help me understand Wyoming or Yukon or something. My focus was still 100% on the North Cascades. And that work that winter really helped me get into the gory details so that by the time I started making videos with Bob Miller and Stacia Gordon that summer, I had a good handle. I'm okay saying that. I had a good handle. I could keep up. And occasionally I could ask questions of them while I was filming. We did a very long video doing a North Cascades Highway transect, Bob and Stacia and I. And that's been a very popular video. Surprising to me because it's so damn long, number one. And number two, it's got a bunch of detail in it that I thought maybe would people would be bothered by. But a lot of views. And so that A to Z series really did the trick for me to feel like I was pretty current with my understanding of North Cascades geology. And I'm saying that now because I realize that the most recent alphabet series, which I'm about to summarize in the next radio episode, we didn't do much in the North Cascades at all. Maybe in part because I'm feeling pretty good about my knowledge of what we know and what we don't know about the North Cascades. Maybe that's part of it. But of course, also Baja BC needs a thorough treatment of so many different places that just staying in the North Cascades didn't make a lot of sense. Let me check my notes. I wrote down a couple other things, uh, just uh, unlike me, but uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. This business about a rollback, right? Um, Jeff Tepper, who I mentioned briefly in the last episode became a key player in this. He appeared twice, and Jeff uh, is an igneous petrologist, and with his work with his University of Puget Sound undergrad students, senior theses over the last 20 years, each senior would grab a different pluton or volcanic rock that's Eocene age in eastern Washington, and they would analyze it chemically, and get precise dates on it. And then Jeff, after 20 years of that work with his students, was able to come up with a regional story involving 
Eocene magmas in eastern Washington gradually getting younger as you sweep from northeast to southwest. So like, I'm going to make up some numbers now. I can't remember the details. Something like if you go way up to the northeastern corner of Washington, up by the panhandle of Idaho, there's, there's granites there. I'll just call them granites. There's granites there that are like 53 million years old. Remember that number 53? And then as you work your way west, north of Spokane, uh, north of Grand Coulee Dam, keep heading toward the Cascades bound by Wenatchee, those ages get a little bit younger. Like 53 in the upper right-hand corner, 52, 51. It's 50 by the time you approach the Cascades. It's, it's 48, 47, 46 million years ago uh, in, in, in my neighborhood in Ellensburg. And so Jeff developed a model where he thought that there was a subducting ocean plate that was rolling back or was severed somehow. In other words, you start with a big ocean plate that's subducting eastward at, take your pick, 60 million years ago. And then there's a break. There's a break of that material, of that plate. And if you break that plate then it starts to sag, like the stuff beneath Washington starts to drop gradually. I'm just doing it with my hands now, or my, my, my arm. So just holding my shoulder, but I'm just letting my arm droop down. And the idea is there's hot mantle flowing up uh, around the front of my drooping arm, around my hand, basically. And that was his te Jeff Tepper's model to explain this age progression and chemistry progression. And that wasn't just a simple break, but there was another break through the central cascades to explain things like the Tianaway formation, which is a series of basalts and rhyolites that came up suddenly, and a bunch of gold and silver tied to those guys. So the whole idea was staying pretty close to home, learning some North Cascades geology, but then being willing to kind of think about things that are much bigger and wider and look for some patterns, look for some connections. Karin Siglock, for the first time, made an appearance on the series, which I never thought was possible, but uh, she, maybe in mid-December, I just thought, why not? I'll ask her. And she said, yes, yeah, surprisingly. And so she said January 20th or whatever. So I, I built most of January to get us ready for that Karin Siglock episode, which turned out to be a highlight. Daryl Cowan was involved talking about the, um, oh boy, talking about the Sanak Baranoff Alaskan Pluton age progression. <laughs> I can barely remember how to even describe it, so I think I'll stop. It was... How can I summarize it as I wrap up with you here? The crazy Eocene was strike-slip vaulting, volcanism, plutonism, sedimentary basin deposition, crazy uplift of metamorphic cores, 
rollback of ocean crust, all happening at the same time, essentially. That, that's, that's the headline. Finally got to the headline right at the end here. What appeared to be very different geologic phenomenon were all happening essentially simultaneously, even the initiation of the Straight Creek Fault uh, in North Cascades. And so as we wrapped up that alphabet series, and for the first time I had four heads on screen at the same time, the dream dream plus myself, I remember each of them saying, we need this high-precision dating from Mike Eddy. We need this high-precision work with the metamorphic minerals from the metamorphic core complex from Stacia Gordon. We need some detailed field relations from Bob Miller with the Pesaton Fault and the Ross Lake Fault Zone and the Straight Creek Fault and the Windy Pass Thrust. And if we tie those things together, we can come up with a chronology. We can figure out what happened first, second, and third. But the point is, it's first, second, and third almost on top of each other. And why everything is happening so rapidly, so dramatically, so quickly, all in the same place known as the, the North Cascades of Washington, that's, that continues to be a bit of a mystery. Final thought. One of the most interesting things that I think will continue to be uh, documented and published, mainly with Erin Donaghy's work as she's finishing up her Ph.D. in the next year or year and a half, is a migrating triple junction. And Mike Eddy has been working and thinking about this story for a long time now. The idea that you have a spreading ridge offshore, an oceanic spreading ridge, subducting beneath the North American plate. We spent a fair amount of time visualizing that and talking about that, from Ray Wells, who guested, uh, to Mike Eddy, to others. And whereas most everybody in the Baja BC community wanted that spreading ridge intersecting North America, that's a triple junction in other words, there's, there's three plates touching each other. There's two ocean plates on either side of the spreading ridge out in the water, and then there's the North American continental plate. So that triple junction is where those three plates are coming together. And it's also precisely where the seafloor spreading center is subducting beneath North America. Well, what happens if you subduct a spreading ridge? You have some sort of a gap, a magmatic window. But the real interesting th thing to me is that Mike Eddy visualizes that spreading ridge intersecting North America, the triple junction, migrating south during the Eocene before it heads back north. And he has all sorts of evidence for that, whereas everybody else is just visualizing a gradual northward march up the west coast of North America during the Eocene and even starting earlier than that. And I've been chicken to get into ocean plates because of that and because of also it just feels like it we, we know so little about reconstructing these ocean plates that I don't think it's a major help to get into that geometry. Okay, well, to finish this, let me just say quickly more details here. I'm still looking for the four major trees that I can decorate with these details 
But what those four independent trees are that will be the skeleton of the four live lectures coming at the end of the month, the jury's still out. I'm still stewing, and maybe you continue to have thoughts. I've heard from about 150 of you now by email in total, and I thank you all for spending the time to send your thoughts. And more emails would be helpful as I continue to think about how to put these new lectures together. Thank you, dear listener. I appreciate your time today. I hope everything's going well for you. I love you. And goodbye from Ellensburg, Washington, USA.